0: Welcome to another episode of the Cirque Club Podcast. I am sitting on the floor behind El Patio in Santa Teresa, Costa Rica, and uh, you can count on there not being studio-quality audio for the next minute, but as soon as the podcast starts, we have a really crisp audio experience for you. This episode is fucking inspiring, and I just spent the last hour going through it, listening to our conversation and um, the gentleman that we speak to is making waves um, and a massive impact, a dent in the universe, so to speak, in the mental health community. He has uh, you know a decade of experience in this work in building community, in coaching and teaching men, being a positive role model, role model for men on um, you know what positive masculinity looks like, how to be more vulnerable, be more vulnerable, how to be a strong man in the world today. And uh, we we touch further on his experience working with uh, Movember and helping to build their platform to uh, over $40 million in fundraising, and then his transition into working with my favorite charity of all time, which is Jack.org, Canada's number one youth mental health charity for mental health education. And so just like an overall inspiring dude, a good friend, he's always had my back. And that's really the core essence of this conversation is how to be there for your friends and family when you give a fuck what to actually do about it. Um, that's, that's been one of the biggest challenges that I've seen in mental health space and the reason why Be there.org exists, which we touch on. So thank you for helping to lead that initiative, bringing that into the world. And uh, thank you for being such a, a positive role model for me and a leader for so many men. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation of the Circle Up podcast with the one, the only Jesse Heyman. We will get started then. This is the Circle Up podcast. Welcome, my friend. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, as we were just talking about a second ago, I, uh, you know, the days are tiring and that sort of thing, but uh, doing well, happy, healthy, gainfully employed, grateful for a lot of different reasons. So you know, it's been an interesting year, but uh, I'm doing really well, considering.:
0: And caffeinated. That is and key you're caffeinated so that means that we are ready to kick off the show super happy you're here um this was a long time coming i know we planned on doing this episode before the world changed and so uh i don't think there could be a better place and a better time to do it than right now
1: absolutely i'm I'm excited to chat with you as always
0: and we kick off this show with a check-in so we'll keep it super brief today and very simple it's um basically your name where yep. you're checking in at on a scale from one to 10. And then the check-in question today is where is your favorite place that you ever went scuba diving? Cause <laughs> I know you're a huge scuba diving fan. So I'll, I'll, kick it off. I'll keep it real simple. It's Andrews. I'm checking in at a 10. I got to see a mutual friend of ours, uh, Ali Salama, who's also a Jack um, speaker and advocate. So I got to hang out with him for the mm-hmm. afternoon. That was super yeah, it was super fun. And uh, my favorite place, I have actually never been scuba diving. I have been snorkeling, but I'm not scuba diving certified. Uh, my favorite place I've ever snorkeled was in Belize, in um, San Pedro, on their coastal reef there. And yep. uh, I remember that day very vividly. I remember the catamaran and the rum punch very vividly. And um, I don't know what it was about the time we were there, but for whatever reason, um, there was only the three of our buddies on this catamaran and yep. one other guy. And so we got to connect to the Bluetooth speaker and we got to listen to all our music. And that's, uh, that's always a blast. That's always super we, fun. We, that was uh, 2018. It's a,
1: spot. Um, it's a great spot. I spent some time there uh, solo for a bit and with family for a bit. Nice. And it was an awesome trip. I have some good story. Actually, one of my tattoos was done in my hotel room there. And it was, um, oh, actually? not a good experience um yeah <laughs> i i used to do that when i was younger and just like sure. people. And this guy came to my hotel room he started like strapping up the gun and he started doing it and he doesn't know what he's doing he truly doesn't know what he's doing and there's some scarring I mean, it turned out okay considering but
0: do you like do you tell him to to you know get out of here or mid well, mid tattoo him, or do you let him finish <laughs> I let him
1: finish, um, I just, in hindsight.
0: You're, you know, kind, you're a kind soul, my friend.
1: It, it comes with a story. But um, I have, I've scuba-dived there as well. Uh, the blue hole in Louise is, is incredible. Uh, Hell, pretty, yeah, we
0: we saw pictures of that of people like helicoptering over it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty stunning. Um, unique experience and kind of scary when you get that deep. But um, I am a, so my, my name is Jesse Heyman, um, and I'm checking in at about a seven, I would say um and my play- favorite place i've scuba dived is uh the komodo islands in indonesia and Oof. that was actually the last place i scuba dived as well and it blew i've done like i did Galapagos before that it blew everything i've ever done out of the water just like nature experiences My top Com- probably- komodo island komodo islands so it's like a it was a five night live aboard, which is where you live on the boat just scuba dive all day that's cool relax and it was one of the best it was the best scuba diving experience but it was also maybe one of the best five days i've ever had traveling.
0: and they've got like a chef on the boat and
1: yeah it's it, uh, indonesia is a great place because live are usually super expensive in indonesia it's it's still not cheap but affordable like you can you can make it work whereas like other places is just wild but it's, yeah, you're on the boat for five, five nights. You wake up, eat, scuba dive, eat, scuba dive, eat, scuba dive. And in between, sometimes you don't do three times a day. You go and do a hike instead, but really cool. And the a- nature there is like stuff.
0: That's unbelievable. What year was that? And were you with anyone in particular? Or was that like another Jesse Heyman solo trip?
1: That was a solo trip. I was, I was solo. I, it was actually when we went to uh, Australia for work, uh, We were presenting at the international association for youth mental health mm. and sort of packed about 10 days of vacation onto it and uh flew over to indonesia and great idea you know, we like spent a couple days in transit did that trip one day in valley and then flew home
0: yeah you're already out there exactly yeah. you might as well don't lose the uh, don't lose all the 24 hours of travel again mm-hmm. and then again time. yeah cool man well i know that you are uh a world globe trotter here. And so I'd love to get into that. I think uh, the majority of this show, uh, you and I align a lot on our values. You and I a lot, align a lot on the mission and the purpose and the and the things we're trying to do in the world. So I could be more excited to have you on to talk about mental health and that journey for you and what that looks like. I remember the beginning of my mental health journey with Jack.org anyway. I was invited to speak at a gala, which was for an organization called Healthy Minds Canada. Yep. And they had this, um, this formal dinner where they had, um, you know, people that care about the mental health space come together, um, all sorts of different organizations. I remember my dad was there, my sister was there, and I, and I ended up speaking there. And that was the first time that I ever heard about Jack.org. And that was the beginning of the journey for me really with Jack the Door, but that was not the beginning of the journey for you. So do you mind, uh, you know, maybe you could share a little bit about what that experience was like, cause that was a huge day for you folks.
1: Yeah, that was a big day for us. Uh, it was a day that healthy minds Canada announced publicly that they were shutting down shop and somewhat merging into Jack the Door, more so giving us their programming to run with. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, working with us to find to find a way to have their programming continue to live on um and it was actually i remember very well i was sitting with eric uh right beside him at a a table of 10 and you were on stage and i i remember eric or i I don't remember who turned to who but to say like who is this guy (laughs) he needs to be a jackpot and i think that was what three years ago
0: yep yeah that was the end of 2017 yeah, almost, so I had almost been almost
1: exactly Jack.org years. For, yeah, and I had been at for about a year, and uh, and like you know, fast forward three years, and Jonathan Andrews is one of the young faces of Jack.org, of the leaders that are doing incredible work, and you know, it's been it's been pretty amazing to get to know you over that time. But um, what do you want me to do? You want me to get into like uh, my story with Jack.org, or where do you, where do you want me to start?
0: Well, yeah, it didn't It didn't take long for, for me to be really inspired by the work that Jack Dirk was doing. So when you said, you know, we, we got to get this guy as a Jack Dirk speaker, it was like, it was so obvious that that was the next step for me is trying to find my bearing and like what mm-hmm. kind of an impact that I could make in this space for mental health. But uh, that was the beginning for me, but that was not the beginning for you. If we, you know, pull the, you know, the curtain back a little bit further on your background and your experience, I know that you were a huge part of Movember and their foundation and incorporating mental health into their messaging. And, you know, it's possible that it goes further back than that as well, which um, I'd love to hear a little bit about what got you started in the space of mental health. Because when I look at you, you're such a competent, strong communicator, a strong leader, such a personable guy. You could really, in my eyes, do anything you wanted to do. And I really see you showing up that way in the world. And so what made you decide, Um, mental health is where I'm going to plant my flag.
1: Uh, It's a long story. And uh, and, I, I'm, I'm very much a very interested by those little decisions you make in life and the effect that they have that you could have had no idea. Like you, you weren't taking into account any of the things that that small decision leads to. And there's, there's a few of those small decisions for me throughout my life that lead to everything. and like, I can go back to high school. So in, you're going to have to stop me. But in high school, yeah, go for I had it. A friend that grabbed me and said, you got to come out to rugby rugby uh, tryouts. And so I really didn't want to go. I was nervous to go. My brother was on the team. So that like eased nerves a little bit, but I truly wasn't going to go. And then I was leaving the school and he like grabbed me His name's Michael Rabkin. And he was like, you got to go. Oh. And I, so I, so I went out and rugby became a massive part of my life. Huge. It changed, uh, it set the direction for my life in a big way because a lot of the decisions I've made since then um, are because of that day. So I went out to rugby, I got really involved. Um, it, it became a central part of my life. And then my brother and my sister both didn't go to university out of town. Um, my dad didn't want them to. And when it came to me, I also wasn't going to go to university out of town. But U of T and York both—I uh, don't think York had a rugby team, and U of T was one of the worst in the country. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to play rugby. So. I applied to rugby schools. I applied to Kingston, or sorry, to Queens, McGill, and to Western. Three that uh, McGill not so much, but two that had extremely good rugby teams, and one that was extremely competitive in Quebec. And uh, and I ended up getting into. I ended up choosing to go to Western, and gotten to rugby there. And then with rugby, I participated in November, and it started Mm -hmm. with some guy on my team that brought it to us, and we and we did it together. And, uh, and I just really took to it. it. was the first cause that I had ever, I wasn't a very involved kid in like extracurriculars and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I did my thing. I, I always was up to like different activities and, and different adventures and like trouble. I was quite a troublemaker. I was a good kid, but I was, we all? and, and then, uh, and then, so I got really involved in November. I started captaining the team and
0: but you got the stash for it, buddy. Yeah, exactly. You got no, no problems there. <laughs>
1: Um, and then I, I ended up traveling for a while for about a year after after uh, school, and when I got uh, back to London, where my my partner at the time, my girlfriend at the time was living, England, not uh, Ontario or Western.
0: Oh, London. yeah, different London for sure.
1: Different London for sure. And I I started writing a business plan on uh, a development through sport charity, and I went to apply for charitable status, and I realized I had no idea what I I'd was doing. Like I was just reading the application. And I truly didn't even, I had to look up the definition of words on the application, which to me meant I had no business. You
0: had a lot of space to grow.
1: Exactly. So I sent two emails, and this is another small moment for me. Um, I sent one email to Write the Play, and I didn't hear back. And then I sent another email to the Movember Foundation and literally said, hey, are you guys hiring? Thanks, Jesse. No resume, no information. That's it. And Movember wrote back to me, a good friend of mine now, Sonam Ringpa, uh, she was working at Prostate Cancer Canada, which was running the Movember Foundation, or like the Movember campaign, essentially. And they were hiring their first staff in Canada solely for Movember. It was a six-month contract to run something called Big Mustache on Campus, which was like a college campaign. And the idea when I came in... I love so I,
0: that. That's a great idea. Did the interviews, great. Uh,
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And there, the premise then that we ran with was, if we can get young people involved, Um, Don't worry about everyone else. If you can build something aspirational for them, you'll build it for everyone else. And and Mm. walk to what young people love. And uh, and we built it around that. And long story short, I mean, I can keep going forever. The first foray within mental health started with me realizing that Canada had built this successful campaign, which grew from like when I started there, seven million to the next year was. Uh, 19 million or 22 million, then 40 million, 42 million. Um, Holy! This whole campaign was built around young people. And our cause that we were supporting was prostate cancer, which is great. And their fathers and that sort of thing, are, their fathers and men in their life obviously need to know about it, need to take care of themselves. And we need the research and the, and the treatment that's going into it. Um, but they can't directly relate to it. It's not something they can do now. And so the conversation then started that I brought up was can't we be doing work in mental health, which is very applicable to these young people at a time when they need it? And that's not me saying that I was the reason why Movember globally went into mental health, but that was the part of the conversation that I started. Yeah,
0: having. well you're you're nudging, you're poking. That's that's how things that's how things change, is people have strong opinions and they voice those opinions, and then if you can back it up with a little bit of charisma maybe a little bit of leadership and i'm sure a lot of that came from you know hanging out you know with the boys and the banter and all of that that happens inside of rugby um i will i will pause us really briefly just to pull it back to um like you said those small decisions that make such a meaningful impact in your life you never would have expected um shout out to your boy michael is it michael for pulling you. you into that that first rugby tryout and uh, I just, I think that's brilliant because a lot of people ask themselves, you know, when they hear that, they might think, you know, maybe rugby is the, is the, the thing to focus on. I think the thing to focus on is like, what kind of communities are you putting yourself in and, and a part of and surrounding yourself? What kind of people are you surrounding yourself with? So you ended up in rugby and from what I know from the rugby players in my life, these, these They exercise, they work hard, they're strategic, they're competitive. And so you could see how, you know, that could be a really positive force for good in your life uh, at that early stage in high school.
1: Usually positive force. And honestly, rugby was the first, the first community, like wide community that I was a part of um, that wasn't like, you know, your high school or your elementary school or that sort of thing, but like really took you outside of what you're used to and taught me what community was. And I really leaned into the rugby community. I was a huge part of it. I still am a huge part of it. It means the world to me. Um, and you could probably see it in my in my work life and in everything that I do. I'm a very community focused person and and like believe in looking out for others and others looking out for you and um, mutual, uh, we got your back if you will, like you know that yeah. your people are gonna be there for you and vice versa. and. And I take that into my work and that sort of thing. And I really learned it uh, with the rugby community. and A lot of my best friends and closest relationships and opportunities in my life came because of rugby.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I think, yeah, just encouraging people to, to, to take a step back from the busy day-to-day of what they're going on right now and everything that's happening in the world and ask themselves, you know, what am I drawn to? What am I excited about? And then is there a community that serves people that are excited about things, those things, and how can I position myself to be part of that uh, or influence it as well? Um, so I think it's, it's beautiful that you found that so early. Um, the other thing that really stood out is that email you sent to Movember. That's hilarious. Usually you'd think that someone would have like a cover letter prepared and everything. It's like, Hey, yo, bro, you hiring?
1: <laughs> I mean, welcome to me. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm pretty diligent on like doing things really well but at that like I didn't know anything I didn't know any better I only think about it now how silly that was but back then like my jobs in my life were never professional jobs as a kid like I was like I always found ways to make money so I didn't Mm -hmm. I was just like hey might as well send the email Um, Mm -hmm. I don't have a resume (laughs) that's that's good to send so you know I put one together then when they wrote me back but it was just like Take a chance. What's the worst thing? Worst thing that happens? I don't hear back from them. Great, I'm I'm no worse off. Yeah, um, I didn't hear back from right to play. I don't hold them against against them. They probably shouldn't have written back. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: But but one like, they know, probably saw, it and,
0: they like, saw it, and like, who is this I'm kid in? emailing us? <laughs>
1: exactly, and you know, that. Was like, uh, obviously they looked at it in some way of like someone's willing to just throw themselves out there and be personable, and um, yeah, it is what it is. I. I, I do want to say, though, in response to you, what you're saying about community, one thing I've noticed in rugby specifically, as I've gotten older and I've stayed in the community, is the community has changed remarkably. It's not the same place that it was. People don't look at like a club, as an example, and when I say club, a team, but a club is like mm-hmm. many teams, um, as like their place anymore, the younger, younger generations coming in, and I think it's because you know, there's so much going on. We have so many options. I didn't have that many options. I found this community. I'm like, oh, this is where I want to spend every weekend. I want to be with these people. And it was such a positive thing for me. And I think it's something that we need to, like, really think about moving forward, not just young people, just everyone right now, because we're so connected to each other. But, like, that's not necessarily community. And the effect that, like, having a real group of people or community that you can lean on um, and that that is a significant part of your life, at least for me. And I'm not saying that's for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's such a huge part of my progress and my learning and my health. And I think it's really hard. Those communities aren't as valued anymore. And I think it's really important for people to try to find them and, and some sort of community that works for them.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, like I'm part of a dozen Facebook communities and Facebook groups but like I don't really know anybody in those groups really intimately and I think mm-hmm. if we think about how can we create deeply rooted communities where like essentially it's like you know I got your back right like that those are the ones that I feel most connected to and you're saying connection like as an example my men's my men's team um, uh, it's wild story my the captain of my men's team went on vacation to Phoenix Arizona in march of 2020 and because he's a u.s citizen when they closed the borders two days before he was about to fly back to toronto they said no you can't come back to toronto and so he has his apartment here and he's paying rent and he pays rent for a month and he pays rent for a second month and he's still living in arizona and he's he's like He's like, guys, I really need your help. Like I need to get, <laughs> I need to get my shit out of this place. I can't afford to, to not live there and, ha- and be paying rent. And so our men's team, like, this is where I feel like um, the, you know, the connection you're talking about um, comes exactly- into play. We, we throw on our masks, like everyone's nervous. Like what's going on? We put on our gloves and we get to his apartment and we take his stuff and we move it into a storage locker and he's, he's on the phone with us from Arizona and we're, he's trying to coordinate and we're coordinating like how to like get this stuff out of his apartment and we made it happen. And it was like showing up for him there is what our men's team was designed for and what it was about. And I know that just like I had his back, every person that was on that team has my back.
1: Right. That's, that's exactly, exactly it. And how, you don't know how important that is until you're in, at a point in your life where, and it might be a small thing, but it could be a really big thing where you just have the support that you need. Um, and I've seen it time and time again where the rugby community pulls together. You know, a team might pull together, but also the community, like the people that I go and play against and I end up, you know, stepping on each other and hurt, like, you know, competing with each other. Yeah, contact a sport, court, man. And they're the same people. That are coming together and rallying together to support someone who needs
0: it yeah there's something about uh something about competition that brings people together like no matter what side you're on oh. so that you know I, I appreciate you taking the time to to touch on that um i do want to talk about how you transitioned from November to um to jack.org uh, but before that you mentioned something that i can't step over which is you took a year off and you went and you traveled and you went and you saw the world. And I want to highlight it for myself because it's something I'm about to do. And, um, and I'm just wondering, what did you, you know, what, what called you to do that? Because a lot of people would say, Hey, you know, Jesse, um, you know, there's a lot of sacrifices you're going to have to make. If you go travel for a year. imagine all of the X, Y, Z things you could be doing with your time and the network you could be making and the money you could be making and the, you know, your career growth, all of that is being stunted. How did you deal with that? Maybe you didn't have that in your life because I definitely have that right now. Um, yep. How did you deal with those things and, and how did you make the decision regardless and what did you get out of that, that first travel experience?
1: Um. Well, I mean, I've always been a person that like kind of flies by this, like beats to their own drum, flies by yeah. to their serial, you know, email as an example. Like I just just do things Um, and my family has never been has never put too much pressure on me to like do certain things it's you know one part of my family that I think is really strong is like they've they have supported me throughout to just say do it like they believe in me and whatever wherever I'm headed they've very rarely said wait what about this risk what about Mm. this risk Um, and then I feel really fortunate for that I kind of I traveled by accident a little bit in that like I went to Australia. I was going to spend a few months in Australia. It just so happens that, and the reason for the travel was I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was that person graduating like a lot of people from an what arts What a great degree. idea. Arts you don't know degree. what you want like to
0: do? Yeah.
1: You no. Know, and you know, I, I graduated from philosophy. Um, That's cool, you know, man. Like, My know. roommate's
0: a philosophy major.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a fun one. And actually I, I credit philosophy for a lot of the way I you know, my success in work now, like my way of thinking about things and that sort of thing. But uh, I had no idea. I was considering going back to school to do my PhD in philosophy. I was considering going back to high school to get my science credits to be a vet. I considered being a pilot. I like literally
0: had options.
1: I I mean, none of them were real options. I wasn't qualified to do any of them. Um, But I, I just was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So why don't I go travel and work? And so I went to Australia. My friends were there. Um, just so happened to be there. I lived with them for about a month, and then they were going to travel up the coast. And I was like, you know what? I'll put off working. I saved up money before I left. Let's travel up the coast with them. We did the east coast of Australia. Then they were going to New Zealand, and I was like, this. Is, I was just having such a blast with a group of five guys that were just the perfect group of guys to travel together. All very independent. We did our own thing. We did things together, but no one got upset when people didn't want to do a certain thing. You just go do it or do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they were going into Southeast Asia. And I, then I had like a reckoning where I was like, and I just felt like I was going to miss out on not being with them, but just on something I didn't want to miss out on. I was like, this is going to be a blast. And so I ended up traveling for a year through Australia, so cool. New Zealand, Southeast Asia, England, Morocco, like all over wow. the place. And, uh, and then when I got back to London at the end, is when that I sent that email and that sort of thing so it's no regrets I my only regret is not doing it for longer it's it was such a special time in my life I made such special bonds I'm still friends with people that like you know I spent one day with on a trip um and I you know at that point I didn't travel solo very much I was always with people and then later on when I went to work I happened to be in a job in November where we got to shut down for a month every year so I went away by That's most by cool. myself for a month every year and And got to know solo traveling, which also to me is like the best thing that maybe not for everybody, but for me, Mm. it was a huge learning of just how much I love being with myself and how refreshing it is.
0: I appreciate you you taking the time to discuss that because, um, you know, I've done, I don't know how many Jack Talks now, but I've been into dozens and dozens and dozens of schools. And the intention is to talk to youth about their mental health. And one of the things that always comes up is, uh, Jonathan, like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And they put a lot of uh, young people put a lot of pressure on themselves to know what they need to do for the rest of their life right now. And so seeing you as someone who's, you know, grown into, um, you know, a man that I respect and a man that I admire and a man that a lot of people look up to, you know, knowing that you didn't know what you wanted to do makes me feel a lot better that I don't know what I want to do.
1: I still don't know.
0: <laughs>
1: I've been flying by the seat of my pants my whole life. My like, when I'm doing something, do it really well, do it to the, hold myself to standards this is for me. And again, not going to work for everybody, but I try to hold myself to standards that are higher than anyone else will hold themselves to while I'm doing the thing I'm doing. And like when the time is there that it's not for me anymore, I'm going to know it. And I'm going to move on and find that next best thing. But it's not the ultimate destination of like, where do I want to go? Where I want to go is I want to be accomplishing impactful and really cool things that excite me in the moment and really enjoy it while I'm doing it. And and when I've gotten to the point where I'm not growing anymore and I'm not challenged or, you know, a new exciting opportunity is there, I'll take that on. But like, it's, it's school teaches us that like professional jobs, are the only jobs, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a plumber, you're, those are the only things. And I wish school did a better job of like, I didn't know what a marketing agency was when I was, when I graduated. That's wild. If you're graduating from arts. You should know that is. Um, but even just knowing that if you take, if you go to school for art, it's like the world is your oyster. You can go into mm-hmm. anything, um, and, uh, not need to know where you're headed in 10 years.
0: Yeah. Alan Watts has this great quote that my roommate Ian and I just love it's sit or walk as you will, but do not wobble. <laughs> and it's okay. like, it's like people are wobbling through life. Like, you know, should I do, you know, it's like where, like you said, wherever you were, you were, you were in it and you were holding yourself to a high standard or whatever it was, you were doing it. And that (laughs) inspires me, man. It's like wherever I am, be there.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And it it allows you to enjoy it too. Like you're not going to enjoy it if you're, if you're wobbling, if you will.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, I, I want to park the idea of like we can do uh, any anything we want to do. And I and uh, even you mentioned something about holding yourself to a high standard, which I love that idea. I want to just make sure we have enough time to get to um, yeah. talking about uh, youth mental health and um, you were working from Movember, and you had this experience of their brand transitioning from a primary focus of prostate cancer to making, um, you know, mental health more important for their brand. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, some of the things you learned at Movember during that time where you were, you were making mental health more important and then how did that connect to you starting to work with uh, the team at Jack.org?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Movember piece. I think a big part of it was just like the the demographic we were working with, and which I mentioned. But the other side is like, Movember was there to break down toxic masculinity. That's like you know at the core of what Movember existed to do. It's not how it started, but what the opportunity that was presented to it was to to break that down, and to do that, Movember needed to look at their messaging in a way. That wasn't about necessarily getting people to participate, but also how can we break down um, those, the, the things that make us who we are as men, scared of our emotions and that sort of thing. And so a big part of my role at Movember was men's health messaging. How do we message ourselves so that, I didn't realize at the time, because I wasn't in marketing um, or communications by trade or by skill set, um, but started to work on the messaging for Movember and being the only person there really, it just, de facto, unless the global CEO is in town when it came to media and that sort of thing, I needed to figure out what to say. So I started crafting it. And
0: um, and it was really
1: about what messages can we give to men uh, and what can we say as an organization that starts to break that down and and make us realize that our job is to change behaviors. And if our job is to change behaviors, we have to change attitudes. And if our job is to change attitudes, we cannot do things the way they've been done. And we have to start challenging the status quo. that's something that Movember was really good at, was doing things way different than anyone else. You know, I'm I'm envious of what they've done in prostate cancer. I think it's incredible. And the reason why they've accomplished so much in prostate cancer is because they challenged the status quo in a big way. They didn't allow researchers to not share their information. If you were funded by Movember, you had to share it. We'll give you the avenue to share it. And we don't care if you're successful or if you fail, you're going to share both. Like that sort of attitude really spoke to me. Um, and then... So I was kind of in that space, starting the conversation. And I started, I grew up in a really masculine household. I grew up in a house that taught us, I was taught to hit people if they dis- were disrespectful. I was, I was literally raised in the ultimate masculine household. Um, and what I realized in November, I slowly, unknowingly, started to be vulnerable and be more comfortable being vulnerable, sharing my emotions. Because I had to be house. I was on a stage telling people to do it. And then when they come to talk to me after you just naturally start being vulnerable and I start challenging myself I started challenging myself and realized how much being vulnerable improved my life. Like real, I'm not just saying this, it really improved my friendships and improved my comfort with myself. It allowed me to challenge myself. And that was my like first foray into mental health. All I spoke about at that point was vulnerability, strength and vulnerability because that's what I knew at the time. And then uh, the big realization, aha time for me was um, someone really important came into my life and they struggled with a significant eating disorder. And I tried to challenge myself to be there for that person and support them. And what I realized really quickly was that I had no idea how. And not only did I have no idea how, but I worked in the mental health space. And if I didn't know how, Someone who stands on a stage talking about mental health. What's going on with the rest of the country or the rest of the world, and how are they supporting each other? At the same time as the mental health movement, Bell Let's Talk, everything that was happening, we were telling people, hey, reach out and ask for help. Robin Williams passes away, and everyone writes on their Facebook like, if you're struggling, I'm here for you. But realistically, we're not. We don't know how to support each other, and we can't get the professional help that we need when we need it. So. That was a huge realization for me, um, and I started googling every single night. I read books, I googled, and the most useful information I, I found to help support that person in my life was in forums, like deep forums of like some random woman that's writing about. I remember a specific like forum where she was writing about how she wished she would have what she wished she would have told her boyfriend when she was dating him about her eating disorder to help him be there for her there were so many things in what you were saying that resonated with me. And so I started working on a project, which started, it, was, it began being called I've Got a Story. And then it transitioned into Be There. And I built a board of directors and I tried to get it going. Um, but I was just like too busy at work and I, it stalled at some point. And uh, I wanted to give people the education and knowledge that they needed to support one another because if we're not getting the professional hope we need when we need it and we're waiting in lines and we're telling everyone, Hey, reach out and ask for help. Well, are we actually creating a bigger problem than we're solving if the world's not ready to support? So I'm someone who's struggling and I have never told anyone and I finally build up the courage and I'm like, Jonathan, I'm really struggling. I have severe depression. Yada, yada, and you turn to me and go, I don't really know what to say. And then you Or
0: I, I hear what you're saying, but you know, your problem really isn't that big of a problem. Like, let me let tell you about what I'm going through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like, or you actually pulled back and scared to say the wrong thing. And now I'm like, I built up the courage to do that. And I'm not going to share my story. I'm not going to try to get help because it's not there. And so that started me on the kind of be there. I've got a story, what it was originally called Train. And, uh, and I realized I wanted to do something about it and so you know uh, through the process of working on be there i had spoken at a jack summit and then hosted a, a what we call november session at jack summit which was music and mental health panel cool and um and i started looking for a different job and the reason i started looking for a different job was because mental health, i knew mental health was my calling. i knew that like i may not be working in it for the rest of my life but i knew i would be doing it for the rest of my life i'd be working to make it to make positive change and uh, I was actually about to accept another job. And I got an email from Eric Wendler, who's the founder and executive director of Jack.org. And he said, hey, uh, we've got this role. It was a director of development and communications job. I wonder if you know anyone that's interested. And I think Eric didn't want to like steal from within the industry, but I think he was checking in on if I was interested. And I wrote back to him and said, hey, I want to throw my hat in the ring. I believed in what they were doing. I really loved Eric from the short amount of times I was able to spend with him. Hard I didn't not make- to. Sort of thing, and so I, I applied. And you know, uh, I, do, I want to throw in there, and I'm, I'm speaking a lot, but right as I got the job, um, throughout this like transition, one other big piece for me was my cousin Alicia, who was my one of, one of my best friends throughout my entire life. Um, she's my age, first cousins. Uh, we grew up together, and uh, she was struggling. And I won't go through the entire story because it's too long. But she was struggling with a drug addiction that got really serious and ended up, in the end, being a heroin addiction. And here's a young woman that had everything. She had a she came from a, a you know a, a middle class family that was super supportive. Um, the means to get the help that you need, um, and support from a lot of different places. I tried to be there for her as much as I could. Um, and right before, I think like either the day after or the day before I accepted the job at Jack.org, uh, Alicia passed away at, I believe 29 years old. Um, and it was, you know, one of those moments that like, obviously it was the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with in my life. That's for sure. Um, and to navigate and I'm still trying to navigate it. Um, But it really spoke like being in the right place. And I like knew it was the right place for me. I knew it was somewhere that she'd be proud of. And um, you've heard me speak about this, or at least write about it. Alicia um, was someone that like, she was truly not like people pass away and people. She was the most special human being that like showered everyone with love and positivity. And so, you know, my commitment to her was to continue living for her and, and trying to to make sure we look out for people like her, but also that I shower the world with a little bit more love and positivity wherever I can. And so that's my story to how I ended up at Jack at Oregon. Obviously, you know, there's, there's much more to the be there story and what, what then happened, but that's how I got into mental health. And, um, and I still think there's massive gaps that we need to solve. And, uh, you know, we've come a long way in, let's say the last 10 or five years, and it's not even it's a small percentage of the work that we have to do, not just at Jack but as a country. We have so much, we have so much more to do, we're not doing good enough, at all.
0: Hey man, I'm so sorry to hear about your cousin.
1: All good, um, we, uh, you know, I, I think if I've learned anything in life, Jonathan, is that like, and you know this too, is that people are dealt with blows and unfair things happen in life. And that's just like, bottom line is unfair things happen during COVID, my, Other cousin, there's eight of us, uh, passed away randomly uh, from what seems like a heart attack. Um, And I think what I've gotten really good at is, like, you got to give yourself time to grieve. But at the end of the day, what's really helped me is finding something to live on for those people. And so, you know, I miss her every day. I miss Dave every day. But you you got to not move on, but keep on and, and keep living for them.
0: Yeah, man, that's really inspiring. Um, I just did a speech last week, and one of the lines in the speech is it's, it's Dean's memory. Um, Dean was the first man in my life that ever took his own life. Uh, it's Dean's memory and the, man, and, the, and the memory of every man that we've lost that gives me the strength to fight back. So it just reminds me of you know finding meaning inside of uh, pain and finding a reason to keep their legacy going. And uh, that's, you know, you can, that's all they would want, right, yeah. is if, if that's who she was being in the world, and that's how her life touched you, taking that and then sharing with other people is so beautiful.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's, uh, you know, grief's a funny thing. That's a whole other conversation that I can talk about forever. But um, it's, uh, that's gr- grieving for me. And it seems like for you. Um, you know, finding a way to live for that person is is really has been really really key for me.
0: Yeah, and um, like I said, I I really appreciate you being open and sharing that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on today was be there because I actually I I didn't realize that it was a a project you thought of and started working on while you were working at Movember. I thought it was something that you started working on while you were at Jack.org. So that's that's very very yeah, interesting. To where it's come to today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I never really, like, I think most of Jacket Org probably doesn't even know that, but I think in my story of Bernie, <laughs> it's, it's a big part of it, and the way it came into Jacket Org was we started hearing from students, um, so it was kind of on pause for me. I was going to still push it along in my own life, I mean, it, and it wouldn't have turned out to probably nearly as good as what it was if I did on my own, um, but we started hearing from young people that very similar things. Our chapters would hold events, and they're like the only resource we have to send people to to educate themselves is like they're like, where do we go? telephone Well, telephone is a crisis resource. It's not, it, there is some educational content, but that's not what it exists for. Yeah, we need something to be able. So our network started asking for it, and we started a little bit of a brainstorm. And I, I think at that point, I had said, I don't remember who was in the room, but I brought an idea forward. And the idea was be there. I didn't talk about it as being a thing that was a project of mine, yeah. but was you know, credit to Jack.org and the leadership there that said, Yeah, let's lean into this and there's something there and and the young people that that pushed us to say, like, we need to do something about it, because how how can we be out there telling people to educate themselves and take care of themselves when we don't have an educational resource to drive them to?
0: Yeah, I think this is one of the most exciting things and there's a lot of exciting things that Jack.org is up to right now. Can you tell us a little bit about um what is Be There, why it exists. You were saying that, you know, we had young people say, you know, like, what do we actually do? Like, how do we how do we show up for somebody in our lives if they're struggling? So what is Be There, why it exists? And then I know you folks have had such a tremendous success. I'm so excited for everything that's come since you've launched Be There and how it's shown up in the world. I remember standing um, on stage at Elevate, which is a conference in Toronto with Michelle, and we we did the be there presentation, and and I didn't realize how big of an impact that you folks were having with the website until I did that presentation. So can you share a little bit about, um, yeah, this the you know what it's for, why it exists, and then what's happened since then?
1: Sure. I mean, so what it's for is um, it's just trying to create a community or country or world where we are able to support one another through the tough times. That's not, that does not mean to help each other through the tough times. It does not mean to be a person's therapist. It means to learn how to be a friend, a lover, a partner, a parent, whatever it is, and how to navigate really difficult mental health conversations and situations. Um, it's not easy and it's not common sense to know how to be there for someone. We're not taught it in school, you know, what empathy looks like how important curiosity is, those sort of things. And so why Be there exists is simply because it was trying to fill a gap. There wasn't an educational resource that went, that was comprehensive, both comprehensive and engaging that young people could go to to learn how to support someone in their life. And and we did a landscape scan globally at Movember, or sorry, at Jack.org. And what we found was there was comprehensive and comprehensive was generally on like hospital websites and that sort of thing. Yeah. And even complex. that was like nobody's
0: no one's coming through that
1: engaging. no one there was engaging and bell let's talk is a good example of engaging uh sees the awkward in the us is a fantastic example of engaging but very top level it's teaching how to start a conversation it's not teaching you how to be in a relationship with someone not romantic any relationship with someone mm-hmm. um, and understand how to support that person over time and there's a lot of complications around that it's not as simple as saying hey I noticed this thing, I'm here for you. Well, what about when you need to put up a boundary because you can't support that person anymore? What does that look like? How do you navigate that conversation? Um, the idea of like asking questions, I mean, it's just information that is not common sense, but the, the answers to all of anyone's questions are out there. It's not rocket science. So if we can bring it together and present it to people in an engaging format, I think we can have, we could have had a massive impact in Canada and potentially on the world, which is what we're seeing now. And, um, you know, we thought there was a gap to fill. Young people told us there was a gap to fill. And we worked truly hand in hand with young people, every single step of the way from like the initial, initial survey to, you know, you know, focus groups, the typical thing, but you tons of hours of user testing and um, working on them with translations and, and the videos presented. So it's, I think that's why it's as strong as it is. Um, But it exists because there was a massive gap to fill. And it's what I said, uh, you know, a few minutes ago around, if we are creating this mental health conversation and we are not at the same time educating, and giving people an opportunity to educate themselves, we're creating a bigger problem than we're solving. Stigma exists and shame exists because of a lack of education. Well, talking about stigma and shame doesn't educate people. It might make them want to be educated, but if we don't have the resource, then how do we do it? That's why Be There exists. Let's fill the gap. Let's make sure that resource exists so that we can direct people to say, when someone says, hey, I'm here to support you, and, they're, and, they're, and then they're called on it, and they're not ready for that conversation, where do they go? Well, they go to be there. And that's our job now is to make sure everyone is aware that it exists, that it's there for them. Uh, hopefully, they proactively use it. But if they don't proactively use it, they know that if they're having a conversation in five minutes, they can literally spend one minute on Be There, and they will be in a much better place they won't be ready to tackle anything but five minutes and you're going to be in such a better place than you would have been five minutes prior or one minute prior. And that's, you know, um, in regards to where it's gone, we, it took us about 18 months to develop. We had huge support from our community. Um, the fundraising for it was honestly quite easy, which was amazing because we had no idea what we were fundraising for. We're, like, we're going to create the most comprehensive and engaging resource to educate yourself on mental health. And people are like, well, what does it look like? We don't know.
0: We're <laughs> not not quite there yet, but we'll
1: exactly. get there. Um, so it's, uh, it's been an interesting uh, go with Be There, and I think it's, it is transformjack.org. It's uh, put us out yeah. there in a way that everyone knows about us. There's a reason why it's called Be There, not like jack.org slash Be There. We thought Be There, and the way that we were going to promote it, we, we built it knowing that, and we did the fundraising campaign originally around this, of like, if you build it, they will not come.
0: No one mm-hmm. comes
1: to a mental health resource. Well, very few people come to a mental health resource by choice, um, especially a few years ago. Um, and very few people are going to know about it. We need to get it out there and advertise and market it. Um, and so we built it around that premise. And, um, and because of that, we needed it to not be couched in a Jack.org brand that wasn't yet known across the world or, or all across Canada, except really by the like, mental health community. And so we thought be there could become more well known. So because of that, we, we wanted it to be an offering jack.org had, but it wasn't to serve jack.org. It was to serve mental health and serve the mental health community. Has it served jack.org? Absolutely. It's helped us sure it does. Build clout, build a name, um, you know, have donors believe in us when we say we're going to develop something and it's going to be up to yeah. that standard. Um, and you know, and now be there is you know being used in the US with Born This Way Foundation, it's being we had someone from Wales reach out to us, an organization, Australia's, um, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting the name right now. Australian Red Cross reached out to us. They want to use it as their, like, for their website for mental health. They want to convert it to, like, a resource for them, which is amazing. And we're, we're open to it. We'll work with anyone to, to turn it into whatever their country needs. But it's just, it's been really cool.
0: And so for those that are listening right now and they want to learn more about be there, they want to learn more about how they can use the tool for mental health conversations. If they listen to this podcast, it's, it's, it's definitely a potential that they are having these types of conversations. Obviously they can go to be yep. Um, But could you give them just like maybe like a teaser, like a sneak peek, like what's one of the rules it's uh, the five golden rules. What's one of them that you really like?
1: Yeah, so I'll give you the first one. So the first one is, say what you see. And I mean, I really like them all. I would say, if any stand out to me, so you should, um, it's say what you see. And I, I think uh, the other one that's not a rule is is be curious. That's like, a, it's within the rules. But I think it's a really big learning for me with mental health. is like people are afraid to ask questions mm. and dive in when people share with them. Um, and I think one of my biggest learnings through my time trying to support someone and different people, when I didn't know what I was doing was, what I did by instinct, and I didn't know at the time, was I was curious. And I just asked questions and questions and questions. And I think that's the greatest thing you can do. But the, the first golden rule is say what you see. Um, I like it because I think it simplifies something that people have such a hard time with. And that is, I see someone who I think is struggling. I could go up to them, and, and people are afraid to, to approach them. They don't want to piss their friend off. They don't want to be upset if they assume they're struggling and they're not. Um, People can be defensive and that sort of thing. Mm. You see what you see is basically the golden rule that disarms everyone. First of all, it stops you from assuming anything. I'm not going to assume Jonathan is struggling just because Jonathan hasn't shown up to rugby practice and seems a little less jovial than usual. I'm not going to assume, or in your case, that you're struggling just because, you know, you gave a jack talk and it wasn't as enthusiastic as you used to and you seem more you know, pessimistic than I'm used to seeing you as a really positive person. But what I can do instead of assuming that you know, I might think that in my head. It's like I can say, "Hey, Jonathan, I noticed you're usually like really enthusiastic in your Jack talks, and you've been a little bit subdued. And I just noticed you be a little bit more—not as like your usual positive self. You okay? Is there like, is, are are you doing? Are you doing all right? I'm not saying you're struggling with anything. I'm literally just calling out as a friend what I see, and checking in. And what it does is it disarms you. No one's telling you you're struggling with anything." um you don't have to get defensive at all a lot of the time with mental illness a big thing for people is that you know it takes a lot to want to get better some people don't believe they deserve to get better and so you'll you'll often see people fighting support and Mm. so if you can approach people in a way that disarms and just says hey i'm a friend i noticed something's different um are you okay and i the other reason i really like it is it's simple Like just think about the reason why you are worried Don't tell them that you why you are worried. Tell them the reason why you are worried. And I think that disarms people. And I think it also represents what what be there is. It's like it's simple, it's practical, and it's applicable. Um, and from the very top line, and that's why I say in five minutes you can learn a lot. But say what you see is quite complicated if you really get into it. And there's a lot Mm -hmm. of intricacies to how you would say something or what you would say. Um, but the simplicity of it I think is beautiful. And I think that's what I love about be there is it's it's innovation and simplicity, if you will.
0: Yeah, I love, I love be there. Um, obviously, I love everything that the Jack.org team's up to. Um, y'all are making huge positive progress in the world, especially for young people. Um, but yeah, say what you see, it's, it's very disarming, like you were saying. And additionally, um, for me as an example, like really what I just want is to create a bridge where there's an open door that we can have a dialogue. Um, and the best way for me to do that is to to tell you the reason why I think having an open door for dialogue would make sense. And so I, I really like okay. that. And I think if if those listening are interested in learning a little bit more, they can obviously go to the Jack the Door website, or they can go to be there.org. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm super excited about all the success that your team has been having. It inspires me because um, Circle Up, the project we're working on was just an idea back in December of 2019. And today it's like totally taken off. Um, I couldn't imagine where we are now back then. And I'm sure you, you know, you think to yourself the exact same thing when you think about the, the, uh, the beginning of those humble beginnings of it, just being an idea while you were at uh, Movember. So congratulations to Uh, your team, man.
1: And and to you, I think what you're doing with circle up is awesome. And um, I also think how you're, One thing that stands out to me is you're not making it about circle up, you're like bringing in community groups, you're bringing in different people, um, you're driving, you know, you're raising funds for jack.org. Like it's the way in which you're approaching it, I think is, I'm going to use the word selfless, but it's not the right word. I'm not talking about you as an individual necessarily, but you and the circle up as a ethos.
0: Well, yeah, it's so it's so it's so important to mention it's it really isn't me like I I do very little, um, you know, I may be kind of like the face the poster child maybe the voice even but uh, in the background we've got dozens of some of the best leaders that I know that are organizing themselves and trying to find other men who are strong leaders to lead these teams, to influence our programming, to try to get, like, you know, uh, the, the messaging right. So, like, as you know, it takes a village. It takes a team. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I and mean, it, uh, it is part of the ethos, which is um, when I become self-sufficient, then I can be very generous. When I come from a place of um, scarcity and just trying to struggle to get by, it's very difficult for me to be able to get out of all of the, the you know the everyday challenge that I'm experiencing and go out and you know, um, you know, you know volunteer and be charitable and things of that nature. So I appreciate the acknowledgement.
1: Can I ask you? Can I ask you a question?
0: Yeah, from, go for it, man. How
1: you go from a place of scarcity, like what? I know this is like this is a very probably convoluted question. Like was there a thing that that helped you? You're probably still working on it, but like, how do you get from a place of scarcity and not being able to take yourself out of yourself, which is what I'm hearing you say, to a place of, you know, acting in honor of other people? And and it seems like doing so has helped you in your mental health.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of places you could start. Um, I'll try to be as concise as possible. I will say it is like you're saying an ongoing journey. It's always easier to be in abundance when you're in abundance. And so, you know, getting out of scarcity can be super challenging. Um, the one thing that, that probably sticks out the most to me is, um, a, a philosophy that you, we use in our men's circle, which is called commitment versus addiction. And the way it's described is the degree to which you are committed in your life is the degree to which you are not addicted and the opposite is true the degree to which you are addicted in your life is the degree to which you are not committed and um, taking action from commitment tends to be the fastest way out of what we call the basement it's funny because i live in a basement um but what what i'm saying when i say commitment versus addiction is like um when I live inside of all of the things that control me, my addictions, like, you know, for me, I'll be very transparent. It's things like, um, you know, marijuana, as an example, is probably one of the, the big controlling mechanisms in my life. Um, when I act from that place and I say, I'm not going to do it. And then I do all of my other commitments um, are so challenging to try to, to try to, to wrestle them and make them work. When I act from my commitment first, So my commitment being whatever I said I was going to do, and I do that thing, Um, you know, the whole world tends to conspire in your favor when you give your word and then, um, you know, you do what you say you're going to do when you honor your commitments. And so I would, I would say, you know, if people are struggling in a place of, you know, when I'm, when I am struggling in a place of uh, scarcity, I'm thinking of what am I committed to? And in. In what proportion is my commitment versus my addiction? And where is that? Because the more committed I am, Jesse, the more um, passionate I feel, the more energy I have, the more I feel like I'm in alignment with who I truly am as a person. And that allows me to go higher on the, you know, here's me, here's relationships, here's, um, you know, my team, here's organization and higher up, I can focus higher and higher. Mm -hmm. And I really want to spend as much time as possible with society. And things like mental health, and things like what you folks are up to, inject Org.
1: That was a beautiful answer, and I like never heard that before. Um, I don't know if you made it up or if, you, if if someone taught it to you. But that is a, it's a great, it's a great analogy and a great way to like fantastic to think, and it makes it makes a ton of sense. Uh, and specifically, like that one action, what stands out to me is like that one addicted action. Uh, and addiction like you're having to use a drug there but like i think addiction could be so many things it's like yeah i, I read right. that as like anything you do that you don't love that you do and the, yeah well it's you know it's what, whatever's
0: you. in control of you is the way we describe it is uh, if it's in control of you so as an example i use i use marijuana because it's you know something that's in my face often and there's a lot of other stuff that i don't really want to talk about on the podcast that control me that i don't control it but if i say i'm not going to smoke weed today and i smoke weed today i'm not in control i'm just not in control and it's not like it's going to my life's going to erode instantaneously that's not what i'm saying but uh i'm saying i need to pay attention to those areas where i give my word and then i buy my own bullshit yep. um and uh you know the deeper you get into addiction the more challenging it is to 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 you know believe yourself and what you say you know a lot of people that you say you know they may not deserve like they should feel better if you if you don't keep your word to yourself for a long enough time you won't believe the word that you give, I and mean, that could be a very you know scary place.
1: Yeah,
0: um, I've been there before, and I know it's really challenging for a lot of people. Hopefully, that answered your question. Um, sure, another maybe, thing maybe. I would another thing I would say is you know I got a stack of books taller than the the ceiling here, um, and like going to work on your mind and just knowing that it all starts from there is uh, your thinking. Um, Marcus Aurelius, a lot of you know James Allen, a lot of the best philosophers said, you become what you think about most often. Yep. Which is why I always tell my mom, turn off the news lady. <laughs> um, she, you know, she's going to, she's going to do what she's going to do. Um, I do have, I do have two other questions for you. If you don't mind,
1: no, I think I the,
0: the, mm-hmm. um, the first, the first one is uh, something you wrote down in your form that I was reading that I, that I thought um, it really struck a chord with me is you wrote, um, you turned your frustration into action. And I really love that because I see you as a leader in the world and I'm wondering um, how can, how can we take the things that we're frustrated about? Because not everybody that's listening to this podcast is going to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to mental health being my mission. That's not what we're, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's the same thing goes back to rugby. It's about community, not about rugby. So it's about, um, you know, making a difference in the world, leaving the world better than we found it. How is how is your frustration played a part there? Or how would you describe uh, you know, I see something that I want to change in the world and actually going and doing it like you have?
1: Um, so frustration turning into action was specifically about mental health. Um, but when you the way you bring it up is it's kind of how, how I live life a little, a little bit. I, I'm very much a person that like If I'm bothered by something, if something upsets me, if it upsets me enough, I'll take it off. I'll try to change it myself. Um, If it doesn't upset me enough, then I try to stop being so concerned about it because I can't do anything about it. And if I keep being frustrated by it, it just makes my life less enjoyable and the everyday less enjoyable. You know, you know the quote um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. One, I love the movie Boondock Saints, and that's where I heard nice. it for the first time. Um, but I that quote, like, kinda this is like going on a bit of an off changing, but that quote kind of changed my life. Not that specific quote. Like, I think I like it after the fact. The like, idea. I'm not gonna be bothered by the things I can't change. Um, you know, sometimes I will, and I'm a human being, but I'm not gonna let it eat me up. And the things that I can change, I'll recognize that I can and I'll go for it. And, you know, mental health is an example of that. It's like I recognized some real change needed to happen, and I didn't think people were doing doing things properly. I was blown away that there wasn't more people seeing this, the same thing I was, or at least doing something about it. So, I just believe in in acting on the things that you can control, and if they're if they're out of your control, then then you can't do anything about it. And it's you know it's Buddhism. It's it's the if you've ever read the Tao um it's like i read that while i was traveling it was one of one of my favorite books and i think that also teaches you like you can't control the things you can't control so i mean the dao more so tells you you can't control anything but that premise of like worry about the things that you can and and if they bother you that much then then stand for them and and do something about it and so that's that's kind of i've gotten pretty good at 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 Letting the things go that, that, that I can't do anything about and, and trying to take on, take on the things that I can.
0: Yeah, I specifically remember let it go on the form as well. Um, can you repeat <laughs> the quote one more time for us, but nice and slow?
1: God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to, to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I always forget that quote, always. I always screw up and I didn't twice in a row.
0: Hey, well done. Hey. Excellent. Um, there's an it's Eckhart
1: Tolle.
0: The let it, it go.
1: Out. It's the same thing within there. I remember my mom used to get really upset when like a broke thing. And I broke things and I got so much trouble as a kid for things I didn't mean to do and like just happened and It was already done. Yeah. And I remember I was in my kitchen as like a 23 year old and I dropped something on was like, fuck me. And I like so pissed at myself and having to clean up and I was already stressed out. And then I literally had a moment where I was like, who cares? I can't do anything. It's clean it up. And that's the, like that started the let it go for me. And I just started like bigger issues and bigger issues of like, let it go. Can't do yeah, it. We're,
0: we're as human beings with our consciousness, the way it's set up, we're really good at suffering more than once <laughs> over the same thing. You know, you suffered when it broke, you suffered for the next hour. And the, you know, you maybe even, you know, pass it off to somebody else while you're driving angrily through traffic. Um, <laughs> Uh, thanks. Thanks for that. The, the last question I've got for you is: Now that you have all of this breadth of experience working in the mental health industry, from Movember to Jackdaw, the be there. You know, you've you've surrounded yourself with experts. What would you tell your younger self? whether it's you know, coming out of high school, while you were in university, you know, as a young man, what would you tell yourself? Because there's a lot of uh, young people who maybe haven't gotten a Jack presentation yet, a Jack talk, um, and they don't, they don't know um, as much as we've talked about in the past. We have a, the, edu- the mental health education. Um, what would you tell your younger self in relationship to me- mental health?
1: So many things. Um, I'm trying to think of the one big thing I would tell myself. I think I would probably tell my I honestly haven't thought about this um and so i I'm, I'm trying to do that thinking right now. I think I would tell myself to challenge challenge any preconceived norms that anyone in your life has baked has has baked into you and 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 challenge yourself to be more vulnerable um I think, like knowing myself in high school, I think those would have been the two things that I should know. Challenge, and that that's that's pretty specific to me. Mm. Challenge the things that you have learned through being raised, not because they're all bad. They're not all bad, but some of them are holding you back. And and open yourself up to being vulnerable. Be honest with yourself and other people, and um, and talk about your emotions. Because I didn't I didn't grow up in a household that was very good at that. Um, Uh, You know, like we we would share here and there. But, you know, I I kept things to myself for a long time. And I will tell you that my life got insurmountably better. And as soon as I started being open to accept myself for who I was and to challenge my vices. Um, I I remember, Jonathan, I used to dream um, all the time. I was speaking to my therapist about this and I never really spoke about it. I never realized the meaning of it. I would dream where I was like either defending someone um, like physically, like getting in a fight mm. or playing rugby, something physical where, I, where my effect had, my power had no effect. So I'd like try to punch and I would get stuck here. Wow. I would try to score try and I'm like running and then I would just not be able to do it. And that was a, obviously a fear deep inside of me around like physical strength and the need for control physically, which is part of how I was raised. I don't have that anymore at all. I don't care. Um, And that's something I've challenged and changed my life for like significantly for the better. So I think just like challenge, challenge the norms, challenge the things you hear and make up your own mind.
0: Yeah. Christopher Hitchens, who's my roommate's hero, always said, take the risk for thinking for yourself.
1: Absolutely. Uh, My partner's uh, Veronica's, God always says be weird don't ever he's very italian and very thick accent Just don't ever be like anyone else be weird be different always always told her.
0: yeah well, so, I, I love that in so weird. many ways you know beating to the the beat of your own drum marching yeah. to the beat of your own drum is uh is a uh, what makes the world a unique and special and interesting place to live in if everyone was the exact same we wouldn't be able to tell each other apart um, so uh thank you for being weird and unique my friend and for having uh tattoos that you regret for the, all the great for all the great stories um i just wanted to say one last thing before you go just to give uh, it's really just for us to be honest um just like who you are for me as a man is um a couple years ago uh, there was a, a challenging experience that happened to me. I made some emotional decisions and didn't play. Um, yeah, it was, it was essentially like I got caught up in emotion and I wrote a Google, a dumb Google review for, um, a restaurant and the person wrote a, a mean review back and we were just being mean to each other. I was, we was like all bravado, all ego. And, um, and it got screenshotted and posted online, and I was getting a ton of hate. Um, and you know, you know, some of it was warranted. And uh, I'm not, I'm not too hard on myself about it now, looking back, because I know I just had a hot temper and I didn't handle the situation very well. Um, but yeah, just like got a ton of um, ton of hate, and um, from people I never would have expected. I like strangers. It's like whatever they don't know who I am, but like people that I never expected. And in the middle of all of that, in like this emotional turmoil that I had pops up on my Facebook is a message from Jesse Heyman. And he just says from you, obviously, and, and you just said, um, Hey man, just wanted to check in and find out how you're doing. Um, let me know if you want to talk. I'm, I'm here for you if you need it. And, um, you know, that's the kind of man that I see you as, as a, as a man that, that I can count on a man's got my back. Um, cause obviously that was a, um, you know, a, a, a moment of poor judgment. And, um, I know I can always count on men like you in my life. So I just want to let you know, I really appreciate for how you show up in the world. It makes a difference for me. It leaves an impact on me. And I know that that's just one of thousands of ways that you contribute to the world. So I just really appreciate, um, who you are and what you stand for. And thanks for being on the show, my friend.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. I totally forgot about that story. Um, But as you started talking about it, I was like, oh my God, yeah, I remember that. Um, It's uh, the feeling's mutual. I appreciate and respect everything that you're doing. I see the like, what is it, oomph at which you throw yourself into the world. Like your enthusiasm is palatable and contagious and, you know, it's been great getting to know you over the years. And I appreciate having this conversation with you. So thank you for everything you're doing.
0: You got it, man. Just the beginning keep up the good work and i will see you from mexico and i um, looking forward to many more chats man
1: enjoy your trip buddy